Our text this morning is verse 24 of Mark 9. And as we approach Christmas, it's important that we keep the wonder of Jesus Christ willingly leaving his crown and throne and glory in heaven above to come into this broken and sin-sick world to save sinners. We know that God's people will spend eternity glorying in that wonder of wonders. But one of the great themes of Christmas is, is light entering the darkness, heavenly glory breaking in. And uh, we see it and will see it, God willing, over these next weeks when he came that first time. But also, as I was reading through this week, we see it in our text with regards to this account of the transfiguration and then what happens afterwards as he comes down from the mount. And he comes from the mount of transfiguration down to the human plane of, of distress and confusion. And, you know, it's incredible that there is this, this massive blessing that the Lord Jesus had known in the, the transfiguration, but he knew that he couldn't stay there. And so the first part of Mark 9, you, you see that wonderful event taking place, but then he comes down. You know, if he had stayed, salvation would have been lost. And so he had to go back down. He had to go back down to the, the suffering and the tears, back down to a people who could not come up, as it were. And it reminds us that man is not able to take one step towards salvation or toward God, but the great and needed blessing is that Jesus comes. And he came the first time. And indeed, he comes on this occasion. And the blessing that Jesus came, that he came down, and that he came down at just the right time. That's always the way with salvation. He doesn't come when his people think that they're ready. He comes to them when they are ready in his purposes. And often when they're hopeless, he comes when he is absolutely needed. And you know, in this passage that we have before us, you know, as the Lord Jesus comes down from the mount, it's an awful situation which he finds. There is a boy in great agony and trouble. There's a father in deep distress. There are nine of the disciples who are bewildered and unable to help. There is a group of mocking scribes. And then there is a, 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 a crowd that is there that they are attempting to uh, bring to discredit the Lord Jesus. And so he comes into this situation of confusion and distress and difficulty. He comes from heavenly glory to earthly misery, the opposition and the work of the enemy. But what a difference when Jesus comes. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Look at verse 15. When they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed. You know, amazed that he came when it seemed as though he was nowhere to be found. Also amazed, by the way, at the brightness of his appearance. As something of the glory of the transfiguration would have still lingered just as Moses' face had shone when he came down from Sinai. And you know, just to think for a moment, it's the case for us, spiritually speaking, of the Lord's people. We too are often amazed when Jesus comes, amazed that he comes to sinners like us. Amazed that he comes with his salvation and his grace in spite of our sinfulness. And you know, in our Christian lives, there are times, friends, when we feel as though we're, we're on that mountaintop, when we, when we glimpse the Saviour, when we see the nearness and know the nearness of the Saviour, we have those glimpses of glory, but we know we don't live on the mountain. 
You know, those times are often brief and infrequent and generally we are more in the plain. We're more in the valley. We are more being prepared for glory rather than experiencing it now. We're often found, aren't we, in the midst of, of weakness and struggles and conflict and sorrow with what we feel is struggling faith. And the Father in our text, he is in such a condition and there is much for us to, to learn from how the Lord deals with him and what he draws out from him. And so let's just look at some of the things together. And I want you to see firstly that the Lord Jesus has to reveal a deeper issue going on. The child is in an awful condition. You know, it's described for us. There are symptoms of epilepsy. He's deaf, he's mute. But ultimately, there is something significant here in that he is possessed by an evil spirit intent on causing him harm. And the father would have tried everything and anyone to help his son. But there's no remedy. There seems to be no help. And he would have heard of the mighty works of Jesus of Nazareth and his disciples. And so when he comes to them, you know, surely he must have been thinking they would be able to help. But the disciples failed in their attempts to help this young boy. And you can imagine the, the despair of the father. He had come hoping against hope. He was desperate. He was earnest. And then nothing. And no doubt the enemy would have whispered in the father's ear, what a fool you are. What a fool you are. And so in that situation, there seemingly is nothing left to do but to go home. And yet somehow he could not leave. He's compelled to stay. And then Jesus came. You say, well, why didn't the Lord come sooner? Why allow this, this father's agony to go on? Why would he let his disciples be ridiculed? Well, the Lord Jesus had greater purposes than they knew. And he knows all things. His timing is always right. And he waited until everything else was taken away as a source of help outside of himself. And not only would he deliver the son, but he would deal spiritually with the father and he was going to teach the disciples. And you know, in that way, he teaches all his people. He leads them to a place where all other help is exposed and removed. And then he is revealed as the one who alone is the solution to the depths of our anguish and trouble. You know, the Lord Jesus came when the father could not leave. And yet he couldn't see any way in which his son was going to be helped. But then Jesus came. The same for his people. He comes to them at a time when they cannot leave the Lord alone, even though they may not believe or, or see how he could have such mercy on their situation. You know, when they realize their sin and their deadly condition, he alone is our hope. You know, it's interesting too that in the way that the narrative unfolds, even though Jesus came, he rebukes the crowd for their faithfulness, but the Father in the midst is still struggling. He's still struggling to believe. You know, maybe there was hope as Jesus commanded within the narrative, bring him to me. Maybe then there was a glimmer, but even as they brought the boy near, I hope that you saw it when we read it together, the boy wasn't yet healed. And sometimes that can be the experience spiritually of believers. You know, we're, we're brought to Jesus in the sense of some encouragement from the word or maybe an answer to prayer or maybe the application of the preaching, or some providential happening, and there is hope, but there is still more needed. 
you know, we're not yet healed fully. Maybe we've, we've felt that, we've been brought near, we've, we've known a little hope, but we still feel we need his healing work in our hearts. We need him to, to deal with us and to, to apply his balm to us. And then notice in the narrative that even though Jesus has come, even though he commands the boy to be brought to him, things get worse. You say, well, how? You know, as the child is brought to Jesus, things get worse. And in those last moments before being delivered, Satan unleashes all his power with fury to oppose the work of Jesus. And the trial suddenly goes to an even greater depth. You know, as believers, we maybe have known those times when we found our situation hopeless and we think, surely it can't get any worse. But then the Lord permits the trial to go even deeper. It's hard to bear. And in the midst, the Lord asks, how long has the child been like this? And the father replies, recounting the overwhelming trouble, verse 21 onwards, from childhood. It's been there all the way through. And then he says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. It all seemed impossible. It all seemed desperate. And they're trapped in their situation. And he pleads with the Lord for compassion. If you can do anything. Now do you see the problem in what he's saying? He says, Jesus, if you can. If you can help. And notice the way that the Lord Jesus responds. Verse 23. He actually uses that phrase back to the Father. And he says, if you can believe. All things are possible to him who believes. And what the Lord is doing there is this. He turns the father's attention away from his child to himself. He's going to deal with this man. He's going to deal with the child, of course he is. But he's going to deal with this man first. And it's as though the Lord says, you say, if I can, but anything is possible with me. The question is, do you believe in me? Do you believe that? Now, to be very clear, the Lord Jesus is not making the faith of the Father the condition of healing. You know, as though it was just dependent upon that. That is absolutely not the case. Jesus is showing the Father where the real issue was, and that is in his own heart. He had to see beyond the awful situation concerning his son. He had to be brought to see that he needed Christ. And Christ for himself, that he, he needed to see that he was a, a sinner, an unbeliever. And that he needed salvation himself, not just for his boy to be delivered. And I want you to see that there is this needy cry, this cry of need for faith unto Christ. You know, the Lord Jesus speaks to this man. And there are words of divine power to the soul of that father. And suddenly this father is in the valley, not just because of what's happening with his son, but because of his own condition. But irresistibly and graciously and suddenly, as the Lord Jesus revealed this to the father, the fruit of that work is that the father cries out in need from his heart to the Savior, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. In one moment, this father is drawn from his darkness into God's marvelous light. And he pleads with the Savior. He cries out to him and he pleads for this help. You see, he's brought to see his sin and his lack. He says, my unbelief. For the first time in his life, he sees this. 
Notice that the first cry of the father had been, help my child. But now his great need was, help my unbelief. You know, the circumstances were no longer the greatest problem. He himself was. And in those moments, he became a needy, unbelieving sinner in himself. And his, his heart was laid bare and he needed Christ. I wonder, my dear friend, have you ever seen your hard heart to the Savior as your greatest problem? You know, even in the midst of all that you might be facing, if you're not right with him, if you're still hard against him, you know, even greater than all the external circumstances and afflictions, you know, if your heart is hard towards the Savior, that needs to be dealt with. The Holy Spirit showed the Father his sin, showed the Father his unbelief, and it immediately became an, an unbearable burden by grace. And so he cries out to the Lord. You know, maybe we can think of times when we have cried out to the Lord. Oh God, please give me true saving faith. Please work within me. Please help my unbelief, Lord. You know, can we rest without a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and him crucified? Can we live without saving faith? You know, is it just enough to, to come to church and to hear the word and just to believe it sort of with our minds only? No, we need that true saving faith, all of us, taken up with the Lord Jesus. And faith became an absolute necessity for this man. He knew that there he was before the Savior. It was his unbelief, his relationship to Christ in view. I wonder if you have ever owned your unbelief before the Lord. You see, the true believer is liberated from excuses. We don't look for excuses anymore. We, we know that we're sinners. We, we know that at times we lack that trust in the Lord. We know that unbelief causes us to, to run after the world and to hold on too tightly to the material, to envy those around us. You know, we know those things. Unbelief is, is such a hindrance to us. We see it as a, a dishonor to the Lord who is truth and, and cannot lie. It is a wretched thing. And how many tears it costs us. And how we would want to be rid of it. And we, we can never battle it with our own strength. It's only by looking to the Lord Jesus and saying, Lord, please help me. Help my unbelief. Lord, I need you. You know, the father saw his own inability, his lack of strength and his need of Jesus. And I want you to see as well that faith in itself cannot save you. You say, oh, hold on, what are you saying there? It's Christ who saves you. And we are given faith to lay hold of him. And the salvation is applied to us by faith. And so we need that saving faith. It's a, it's a gift of God, faith to believe in him, faith to trust him, faith to lean on him and to see him. And so we cry out, Lord, help my unbelief. I, I can't help myself. I need you. But he is the one who saves. Not the strength of your faith. It's him. And the Lord never turns away that needy cry. Never. And if you're struggling this morning, he, he longs for you to cry out to him, Lord, I need you. And that's where we must be. The cry of need. But also I need to see it's a cry of confession. You see, this father receives a, a wonderful blessing because he not only confesses his need, his unbelief, but also through his tears, his belief. It's a wonderful gift of grace. 
You know, it's amazing that God always gives us what he demands of us. You know, through that spirit work, Christ applied God-given faith. This father was enabled to believe, even, by the way, before his son was healed. So even before all that is due to take place, he is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was as if the father was saying, Lord, I believe not in myself or in any other man, but I believe in you. You are the object of my faith. I believe in you, Lord. And with this confession, he, he gave himself over unconditionally to the Lord Jesus. All self-trust sank away. I wonder if we've been ever been brought to believe in Jesus like that. Is he the object of our faith to save us, to keep us, to deliver us? Now, let me say that by nature, we'd never declare that. We would never even go near those things as sinners inside. You know, it's amazing. You know, we'll believe in everything and everybody but Jesus. You know, you talk to people around and when you begin to sort of draw them out onto what they actually believe and the things that they think, there are times when you find it staggering. You think, how could you believe that? Blindness of people. But who do you believe in? Where's your hope this morning? What are you leaning upon in life and death? You know, let me be clear, anything we believe on and believe in as a foundation for salvation outside of Christ is hopeless and it's false. We are truly blessed when all that is stripped away and we look to Jesus Christ alone. And in verse 24, you know, look at the way it happens. Immediately the father of the child cried out and he said with tears, you know, when a poor, needy sinner is granted to believe, there are tears. Tears of joy, tears of relief. You know, when that living way is open before a dying people who are given grace to believe in Jesus alone for salvation, how can there not be tears? You know, that precious deep joy in believing in him. I wonder if you've ever known that. Have you experienced the wonder of crying out, Lord, I believe in spite of myself. I believe you've shown me that the righteousness of Jesus Christ goes beyond all my sinfulness and your gracious power goes beyond all my unbelief. Oh, how the grace of God amazes me. Should amaze us. And the Lord is dealing with this man to cry confesses, Lord, I believe. And it's a cry of victory. The father's cry is also a cry of victory through faith in Christ. Now, let me say much of what is happening in so-called Christianity wouldn't see this. There are so many messages and ministries that crush people because they don't believe enough or they don't have faith enough. That's not what the Bible teaches. Scripture makes plain that the struggle of faith versus unbelief remains in the life of God's people until their death. And a faith that never doubts and struggles, I would even go as far as to say, is not true faith. Often the Lord's people feel like their faith is found battling in the valley rather than rejoicing on the mountain. But whether in the valley or the mountain, it is true faith it is, if it's grounded in Christ. And this father's cry is a cry of victory only because he is looking to the mighty victor, the Lord Jesus. 1 John 5, verses 4 to 5. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. 
And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And it is through faith by Christ, God's people have the victory. Victory is given to them in King Jesus. He will not fail. We are more than conquerors in Christ. And so we know that victory. We know that leading forth only in him. And here the Lord Jesus demonstrates his marvellous power. And calmly and immediately and miraculously and with great power, verse 25, the child is delivered. And Jesus commands the demon to come out of the boy, to stay out, and it's all done. It's glorious. And the father is blessed, not only with faith in the Saviour, but with his son now healed. And how their hearts must have been overjoyed and so full of the Saviour as they departed. How they must have been in awe before this Saviour. Inexpressible joy, the joy of, of victory through faith in Christ. It must have filled the heart of that father. You know, as they, they went on their way, no doubt speaking of all that the Lord had done for them. It's a wonderful scene. The power of the Lord Jesus. And then, lastly, as we draw these things together and come together in this way, we've seen a cry of need, a, a cry of confession and faith, a cry of victory. But I want just to remind you that this daily battle remains against unbelief. You know, as they returned home, maybe the father had thought over all that had taken place and how he'd said, Lord, help my unbelief. And maybe thought, well, how could I ever possibly doubt again? You know, after all that I've seen, how, how could I ever possibly doubt again? But although unbelief hides for a time, it comes back in this life. And as the father went on, no doubt experienced this, he would have had to come back to that needy, confessing, victorious cry time and time again, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You see, that's what it's like for the Lord's people. We look to Christ and we say, Lord, I believe. But then often we look at ourselves and our circumstances and then we say, help my unbelief. It's a constant struggle and it's a, a recurring battle and sin that the Lord's people won't rid themselves of completely this side of glory, even though we long to be rid of it. You know, we wish, don't we, that we could always say in triumph, Lord, I believe. And we long for that day, don't we, when we don't have to add, please help my unbelief. And we need daily grace to believe the Saviour. You know, although we've been you know, ultimately delivered from the state of unbelief forever in that moment of new life in Christ and regeneration in this world and in this pilgrimage, as it were, to that glory, time and again we can stumble into doubt and trouble. And unbelief so quickly arises from within us, the outworking of our sinful hearts. And often it begins the moment that we think that we are independent from the Lord. You know, we're really good at that. You know, we, we think that we can, you know, handle things ourselves. The moment that we think we can begin to, to make it on our own and that we, we don't need the Lord so much in daily life. And our problem is that sometimes we have delusions of our own strength that keep us from seeking the grace that strengthens us in our weakness. You know, we don't want to think of ourselves in that needy way. We act as if we can 
handle things that we cannot handle and we don't seek the, the help that's available and really it's an issue of unbelief. But we're not independent. We're not created to be. We were formed to be dependent on the one who made us. And in the new birth, we are recreated in Christ to be dependent upon his grace. You know, the Lord Jesus said in John 15, without me, you can do nothing. You know, that's such a clear statement. And you know something? God doesn't expect of you what you do not have. He's never shocked, my friends, of your weakness or inability or mine. That's precisely why he came to you with his grace. You know, the gospel of Christ is so wonderful because he is a strong and able saviour who showers his powerful grace on people who are fundamentally broken and weak and unable. You know, he confronts us with our weakness so that we'll run to him for strength. As one explains, he calls you to mountains too big to climb so that in your inability you'll look to him. He leads you to taste failure so that you'll find your hope in him. He works to prove to you how weak you really are so that you'll gladly receive his promise of enabling grace. It is not so bad to be brought to the end of our rope when we find that the end of the rope is a strong and willing saviour. You know, don't be afraid to cry out in your weakness, Lord, I do believe you, but please help me in my unbelief. Please help me to need you more, to believe you more, to be taken up with you more. Because your heart is being taught again and again and again, only Jesus. That's it, to look to him. And so I asked you this morning, where do you stand in respect to this, this try of faith and this, this battle with unbelief? Where are you? You know, we're in different positions, no doubt, different states. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're totally unbelief. You know, you're, you're totally there in unbelief. You, you won't have Christ. You reject his word and you don't want to hear it. You know, maybe you're like those, those mocking rulers. But friend, you are in a sad and desperate state. You know, did you ever think about what it means to die as an unbeliever? You know, you'll discover that, that awful fulfillment of God's own word in John 3... He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. But he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And you know, our prayer for you this morning, if you're sat there in unbelief, our prayer is that the Lord would have mercy upon you and show you that you need the Savior. I wonder if you ever think about him. Do you ever think about eternity? Do you ever realize that, that nothing is as sure in this life as death and then the judgment and eternity? What hope is there without Christ? Let me tell you, there's none. And yet God in his mercy has brought you here this morning and you have this opportunity to believe in the Savior, to say, Lord, I believe in spite of myself, I believe. And he saves to the uttermost all that call upon his name. Maybe you say, well, I'm not in total unbelief. I know I'm a sinner and I, I believe that Jesus came into the world to save sinners through his death on the cross. You know, I believe that the Bible is true, but that's as far as it goes. So in other words, you affirm a saviour outside of you, but you've never believed on him in that saving sense. You know, we need to know the truth, believe the truth, 
but to be in Christ through a personal saving relationship with him. You know, the Lord has to make that faith a reality in our souls so that it will be well for us. And so I urge you, ask him. Say, Lord, please save me. Please deliver me. Please make me to know I am forgiven. Please make me to know that I am yours. He'll hear your cry and he will answer. Maybe you're here this morning and you're doubting. Maybe it's been a hard time and you're struggling. You know, where are you with the Lord? Well, just consider this father's confession and examine your own heart. See that the father's heart was tender. He cried out with tears. He said, well, why? Well, he couldn't remain cold under the thought of a free and sovereign grace to such a sinner. You know, let me ask you, do you know anything of the tenderness and the, the melting of heart before the Lord? That there is such a saviour. And also the father's faith gave him a deep sense of his remaining unbelief. Even though he was brought to believe, he wasn't the finished article. He realized that he still had sinful flaws, but he saw the solution was only in Jesus. That's the mark of God's work. You know, he was concerned for his soul. He was believing in the Savior, and yet he was grieved over the pull of unbelief. That awareness that there is a conflict is a mark of grace. Because the people outside don't have that. They don't have that type of, of battle or conflict. The fact that he was aware of that shows that the Lord was at work in his heart. It's the same for you. The Father's faith also made him hunger and thirst for more faith in the Savior. It's the faith that cries out, Lord, increase my faith. You know, I wonder, do you long for that? Do you long that you would be able to believe more? It looks only to Christ with, with prayers and cries and all that, that looking to self is stripped away so that Christ is most treasured, is most valued, is most precious. We want him. We long for him. You know, that's the question that you have to ask yourself above all. You know, if there is true faith within, where does it bring me? Does it bring me to the Lord Jesus? Does it make Christ more necessary, more sufficient? Does it lead me away from him or closer to him? Because true faith will always bring us back to Jesus. It'll always bring us back to him. And so if you know any of these marks, any of this, this stirring of life, they're evidences of grace. And the Lord won't break the bruised reed or quench the smoking flax. And you can be certain that all your days and all your doubts and all your fears and failures in Christ, you're still in his hand and you remain under his care. And Christ shows such loving patience through all our ups and downs. He doesn't turn his back on us for a moment of unbelief. You know, remember when the Lord Jesus appeared to the disciples after his resurrection in John 20. You know, what were they doing? They were cowering behind locked doors. They were fearing what the authorities who had crucified their leader would do next. There they were, but locked doors couldn't stop Jesus. Nothing stopped him from entering the house and re-entering their lives and proving himself to be their saviour and their living hope. And you know, no matter where we are or what we have done, Christ can enter our lives, our sadness, our darkness, our fear and our doubts and make himself known to us. 
and to assure us of peace in the midst of the storm. You see, because of his death and his resurrection, he was able to bridge the gap that sin opened between rebellious humanity and a righteous God. And as we receive this salvation that he offers, you know, as we trust in him and believe in all those things which are there, we are secure in Christ. And that's what has to be fresh in our minds every day. Christ, dependence upon Christ. Do you rehearse the gospel to yourself in the morning? You know, do you, do you embrace the Savior daily? Do you thank him? You know, do you, do you speak with him and, and trust him and submit to him and take him at his word? And in that way, he stands beside you. And he offers you an eternal, intimate peace that triumphs over and transforms your, your darkness and your fear and your doubts. And true faith is saving faith, whether it's small or great, because it is grounded in the Lord Jesus. It must be him every day, every hour, every moment. You know, what are we to do when those doubts and fears assail us? We come back to him, Lord. I believe, help my unbelief. You know, if you're looking at yourself, if you're looking at your circumstances, then you're going to have good reason for discouragement and trepidation. It's only by looking to him that we're enabled to run the race that is set before us. He has endured the cross. He has scorned its shame. He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God that we might be forgiven and kept throughout all our days, even forever. And so our faith will not fail because God has given it, he sustains it. And you know, as we sing often, you know, the, the, the saints that are already there, they are happier, but they are not more secure than you and I. Nothing can separate those who trust in Christ from the love of God. You can't be more loved than you are this morning, believer. There are times when our lives seem filled with, with disappointments, when we struggle and we give in to sin and life circumstances are hard but we can and we will continue on the journey because God who began that good work in you will finish it and he is faithful and he gives us no cause to distrust him and in spite of our unfaithfulness and our wobbling he will be faithful to his believing people even unto the end and one day he will bring us to those mansions that he has prepared for us. Even for those who are so weak in themselves that they had to pray all their life, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. We battle now, but the victory is secure. And one day, the struggle will be over. We long for that day, we surely do. But until then, our cry is ever, I need thee every hour. Keep looking to Jesus, my dear friends. He is the only one who can help us. Amen.